welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. Great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Let's get to work. Good morning, noon and night. How are you guys doing? My name is Ryan Wiggins. I am the producer of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. And uh, as you can probably tell, I am not Doug Mitchell. Doug actually is away on a business trip right now. And uh, you know what they say, when the Dugs are away, the Ryans will play. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to kind of hang out with you guys and share some of my favorite clips from June and July on the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. This episode makes 56 episodes since the inception of the podcast as a whole. So there are 55 other episodes that have so much great content that if you've just recently found us or you've been with us for a long time, it's always good to kind of get a resurgence or an introduction to those guests as well as the concepts that they brought on to help you build your business as well as build yourself professionally, personally, and all that good stuff. So if you guys can hang out with me for a little bit, let's take a trip down memory lane and see what those uh, guests had to say on the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. Let's get started. So the first guest that we have coming back onto the podcast is Alex Shalinsky. Now, Alex is known as the Iron Man of marketing, and there's a whole story behind that. I encourage you to go listen to that episode so you can get the story. What I wanna focus on is something that Alex learned from watching his dad be a business of one and not trying to fall into those footsteps. Let's take a listen. Zero out of five stars, do not recommend it. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. I didn't realize it until I probably went to college. And the reason why I started my marketing agency working with personal injury attorneys was, I thought I was going to go to school for, for law school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very intrigued by it because my next door neighbor wasn't a personal injury attorney. Mm-hmm. And the summer between college and freshman year, um, I, or actually it was junior and senior year, I did an internship with him. And I'll never forget it. We, we go into his, into his car. He's kind of a little bit of a heavy set man. We get into a small BMW convertible. He has uh, his, his um, cup holder is actually an ashtray. There was like oh, 60 things no. in there. It was absolutely nasty. Um, and he gets in the car, he slams the door, you know, I'm all dressed up all nice. Uh, and he asked me, you know, we're going to court for the first time. I'm all amped and excited. And he said, why do you want to become personal injury attorney. And I gave him whatever spiel I had at the, you know, I was all excited, 17 years old. Oh, this is why blah, blah, blah. It's like, awesome. My goal is to make sure that you're not a personal injury attorney. It's the worst job ever. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that, did, that was very unexpected. Yeah. Um, so I worked with him for a couple months and he was really ahead of the game. Facebook had just released business pages um, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously now in 2022, uh, business pages get zero reach. But at that time, they were getting a lot of reach because Facebook was in the position of wanting to start generating money through ads. Mm-hmm. For many of you that are younger, you may not know Facebook originally as a social network had no advertising um, and they had no way to make money outside of sponsored like uh, apps, which used to be the main thing on Facebook for a while. Um, so he knew that Facebook was going to be big. Um, and he asked me to start posting for him um, something every single day on Facebook from the NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And then I started doing constant contact newsletters. So mm-hmm. did that for him for a year for $1,000 a month. 
And the reason that I started realizing what had happened to my dad in retrospect a few years before was because when I went to college, uh, I had to take out student loans to pay for school because unfortunately, you know, my, my family could not afford mm-hmm. to pay for it, which is mm-hmm. fine, you know, very standard thing. Yeah. So I had to create this opportunity uh, to get more clients. So I asked this attorney that I worked with, if he went to law school with anyone in Orlando that could potentially become a client. And he sent me 20 people uh, and 10 of them became clients. So immediately nice. at, you know, 18 years old, basically I had a $10,000 a month company but I don't think my brain was entrepreneurial enough then to realize the opportunity I had in front of me. Mm-hmm. But I did quickly realize how much was on, how much weight was on me. Meaning if I got sick or if something happened, I wouldn't be able to do it. And that was yeah. the time that I was forming in retrospect, realizing this is why the situation was so bad. This is why my dad has now hired more people after the fact. This is why things got so difficult after because my dad had a very unexpected experience in his life that led to uh, you know, him not being able to play, right? Yeah. Him not being yeah. able to work. And when that happens, um, if you weren't prepared for it, I realized pretty quickly that he hadn't created a business, he created a job. Mm-hmm. And I realized that while I was going through college, um, because ultimately, if I didn't have any help, I couldn't do it myself. And right. that's where right. my girlfriend and I, who's so now my wife. Um, pattern repeating. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned it. It wasn't in, it wasn't during the time. I think during the time I was coping, but as soon as I started my own business, um, then that was when I realized, uh, like what my dad had really gone through and, and what the experience was, especially now that at that point he was starting to recover and be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me a little more time to reflect more appropriately. No, that's great. I mean, and you know, I always say that entrepreneurs are just like anybody else, like basketball players, football players, you know, artists, um, at the end of the, at the end of the day, we're born with certain talents, you know? And, and for me, it's the ability to replace myself, you know, and for you, it may be the ability to recognize that while you're in it, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it's hard to put a name on that type of talent, you know, the ability to scale. Yeah. <laughs> some of it, dele- it, like delegation is, is a good skill. Right. And it comes to some of us naturally, like it, it, it did for me early on. And I was motivated not by a, a story like your dad. I was more motivated that my, my, uh, my company, we knocked the doors initially. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to knock doors. So I had to figure out how to replace myself. So I wasn't the one out there mm-hmm. knocking doors. Love that. And then I wasn't the one out there training people. And then I wasn't the one in the field managing the guys and so on and so forth. You know, and then my company scaled because I had motivation. <laughs> and uh, but one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot on this show is because I have a lot of people listening, especially in the construction field. I don't know why construction guys love my show, but they, they always listen to it. it. And it's typically because they have their operations built out. They have uh, even some of their marketing built out or they have it outsourced. You know what I'm saying? But they, they still do the sales themselves, you know? And a lot of what I teach is building great sales teams, right? That's the name of the podcast. Yeah. And um, it is just another form of delegation, right? And so I guess my question to you is, and you don't have to frame it inside sales. Don't worry about that part. But my question to you is, okay, you went from that to the business that you have now, you know, doing, what was it, 50 million (laughs) in uh, product sales? Yes, sir. You obviously had to build out departments, divisions, you know. Absolutely. uh, Now, what Alex learned was that you cannot operate a business by only being one person. At that point, it's not a business. It's not a company. It's just a job. 
So he learned from his father's mistakes in that sense, so that way he didn't walk into it. You see, experience is a great teacher, but an even better teacher is the experience of someone else. And that's something that um, really resonated with me was seeing like, hey, I know where I'm supposed to be at. I know how I can make this work by myself, but let me take the time out to train some other people. Now, with that out of the way, the next person we got is Mr. Sam Kaufman. We had him in the podcast trailer at MDM, and he shared some really good stuff about building up great people. So like I said, we're not just talking about sales teams. We also want to talk about the leadership. Let's take a listen. We're not going to hire you if you don't align with the core values, and we could have a whole another podcast on that. Yeah, we could. But, but, but that's the deal. Like you want, you don't have to be the fourteen-hour-a-day business owner, mm. and you, you you don't have to fall on the sword every time, and you, you don't have to sacrifice your personal life and your family life in order to keep the business rolling. But you do if you're selling low-margin products. You do if you're not hiring quality people. You know what I'm saying? And then you're the one running around like crazy. So. Right. And so, so we, similar, we grew, I, in the, in the beginning, I was obsessed with top line revenue. Mm-hmm. Top line is all I cared about. I yeah. wanted to hit seven figures. I, and I had no profit goal. I just wanted to see seven figures mm-hmm. on the income statement at the end of the year for the business. Give me all the business. All the business. We had two cities. We had dozens of employees. We had the cost of doing business continued to increase when the profit of doing the same business did not. Mm-hmm. And what you end up doing, or what we almost ended up doing, was growing ourselves out of business, which people talk about often, but you don't really understand it till you do it. And I'm sorry, you can warn somebody all day long that they're going to do it. Try That's to, not me. Try to warn a new entrepreneur that they're going to grow themselves out of business. Just tell me how they're going to think you're full of shit. And that's yeah. fine. Learn it the hard way. That I think it develops a lot of grit. But you're right. And let me, so like leading from the front today with my sales team, like I'm in the office much less than I've ever been before. Mm-hmm. But here's what I'm doing now. So I have an operations manager, how I like, and he made a comment the other day, we were on the phone and he was like, he was like, I notice what you're doing. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you never talk to me about operations anymore. Every check-in is whether or not I'm exercising, if I'm reading, how my, am I going on date nights? How is the team doing? Are you doing one-on-ones? I fucking love that. And I said, dude, that's because you're in a leadership position now. I put you there because you knew ops. Ops training isn't what we need to be doing, but if you're going to continue to lead the team, you need to outgrow them daily. You cannot, your job is to grow people underneath you. If you grow them to where you're at, what the fuck good are you here? You have to keep going. I'm yeah. like, I have to. Why do you think I'm flying out of town every month? What do you? I'm staying ahead of you, dog. Like, mm-hmm. I'm staying ahead of you so you can stay ahead of them so they can stay ahead of the new guy. It's, and he was like, holy shit. I was like, do you see? So we're running a, uh, my team doesn't even know this yet. My wife does because it was her idea. But we're running a giveaway. There's a big flooring retail conference. Go ahead. First of all, yeah. let's just... If you're listening to this podcast and you have that little thing that goes back 15 seconds, hit it twice and listen to what <laughs> Sam just said again. Holy shit. We're, we're going to put that all over reels and everything. That was fucking beautiful what you just said. If, you're, if your management and leadership team needs management and tactical operational training, you have the wrong people in management and leadership. They mm-hmm. need personal development training. That's it. That should be 90% of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Just come to you for help. That's all great. But that yeah. should be 90% of your relationship with those people should be mm-hmm. personal. You should be coaching them like you're like how we pay for coaching. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do to them. Yeah. I learn it here, apply it, figure immediately. it out. And immediately goes back to them. Um, but yeah, so we're running a 
giveaway. There's a big flooring retail event in November in okay. Arizona. And it sounds, I know flooring retail sounds boring. These guys do it really well. It's fun. They got great speakers, breakout. They run it like a fly-in. Nice. Cool. So I couldn't decide who to bring. I wanted to bring everybody. Like, we're be, we're doing well this year, and everybody's contributing. And I'm like... I'll come with you, Sam. I'm like, well, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, shit, I just want to bring everybody, like... But I can't. That's not feasible. That's what happened with this. With, and with, I, and yeah, I yeah. ended up with 18, and I think we, we could have brought 25. And I, and I feel like an asshole for the eight that had to stay back. But, I mean. So check this out. Yeah. So this is what we're doing. So when we get back, um, we're doing a 75-day. It's not 75 hard. Okay. But we're doing a 75-day challenge on the G-Code. Whoever comes nice. to me with the highest score on the G code after 75 days, the top two are getting plane, ticket, hotel to the event, flooring retail event. You know, and the old me would have said, "Oh, they're just gonna lie." You know what? That's not my fucking problem. Exactly. I'm, I, my job is to present the opportunity, and it's up to them and God to figure out the rest. Right. That's not on me. Yeah. Right. I can't control the results. I'm just putting it. I mean, it's not. It's no different. You and I are doing it on a smaller scale, but it's no mm -hmm. different than when Stuman does. He puts yeah. out the opportunity. How many people? Well, let me not even go down that. Let me not, <laughs> let me, I'm just saying. Yeah, people do lie, but let me tell you this: it's harder for me to remember to fill out the G code app every day than mm -hmm. it is to actually do the work inside of the G code. It's very true. If they remember to fill that thing out dishonestly every day, they earn their ticket. I'll take them with me. But <laughs> that's hard enough. <laughs> that's hard enough. And so, because my wife said this, she's like, well, they're going to lie. I'm like, 75 days is a long time, mm -hmm. even to be full of shit. Yeah. That's difficult. It, yeah, right. That takes discipline to it, be full of shit for 75 days. Like you earned it. You yeah. earned it. You, you outpaced everybody else who's full of shit. You really, like, you're the hardest working full of shit person here. You're, you're more than welcome to come. Look at the dude. He's cracking up. Yeah, there. dude. Ryan's, Ryan's cracking up behind the camera right now. That's He's awesome. loving this. It's very true, though. Like, some people work harder to bullshit than they would if they just did the work. You know what I'm saying? 100%. 100%. But see, but my point being, when we were talking about how do we pick, mm -hmm. you know, we, we discussed like, all right, let's see who can get the most five-star reviews. Let's see who can get the most this. And I said, yeah. I was like, you know what? Let's take this a step fully out. Because what I want to do is coach them, but I can't coach every single team member one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one like that. The time is not, it's not going to happen. But but Stuman gives us tools. I got tools. Right. Nice. So I present the tool, facilitate the challenge. Dude, if if my if if one person fills that thing out at seventy five percent for seventy five days, their lives will change. They don't oh, even yeah. know it. Well said, well said, well said. Just to reiterate, once you get someone who is hired into a leadership position or is promoted into a leadership position, whatever the case might be, stop managing them or checking in on them with what they are supposed to already know how to do. If they are hired there or promoted there then you already trust that they know how to handle that business at that point you should only be checking in with them when you are trying to help them personally develop because when you have someone who's in that leadership position when you're in that leadership position you need to be able to trust that they're going to lead what they need to lead if they have questions yeah come to me whatever but trust that they know how to do what they're doing and make sure that you're investing in them personally so that they can always be on the next step and the next step and the next step so that when 
their guys have questions for them, they can be like, hey, this is what I'm doing for my personal development. And they're seeing that you're doing it also for your personal development. And you're constantly having uh, growth in character, growth in people, growth in team, growth in, growth in everything. And that's, you know, what I really love about that little segment that Sam had for us. Um, the next person we have on our list is Danielle Mulvey. And she is a five-star recruiting expert. This is how she had learned to get those five-star recruits. Let's take a listen. I was like, sure. So then I started, um, the founded the Maverick Group, which is an advertising and marketing agency in Nashville. And we were doing over a million dollars um, within a year of, of being a business. And we specialized in high ticket items um, with, um, you know, high, high end retailers and such. So that was, uh, that was, that was my entry into entrepreneurship and my, um, my, my brilliant hiring strategy, because I was only 25, right? Mm -hmm. Old age of 25 when I started this business, um, was to hire people younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because if I was not doing a good job, they would have no idea. Uh, and that, you know, that worked for a while. A lot of people think that that's the qualifier, right? You know, uh, I'm, I'm looking at a, a someone for my MDU director position, and he's okay. like 28, you know, but the rest of my team probably averages about 35, you know. Okay. So in my head, I'm already like, gosh, are they going to be able to not take orders, but take leadership from someone yeah. that, that's, you know, a lot younger than them or whatever the case is. But, you know, I'm sure you know that not to be true, that it doesn't matter the age, what, what matters the experience and then the mindset, right? Exactly. It 100%. And so, um, you know, I mean, my hiring decisions were based off of people who went to the same school as me and it came down to these two wonderful candidates. And one of the candidates, um, was actually in the same sorority house as me. So that was my decision. So I really just had like an ad hoc, just from the seat of my pants hiring, um, mentality when I first started my business. And then a couple years in, and I was lucky, like they worked out well, but then a couple years in, I kind of used that same strategy of, okay, um, I went to college with your sister and you are <laughs> friends with one of my great employees and you were fraternity brothers. So you're hired. And, um, and he ended up being a huge disaster. I mean, I remember waking up one Monday morning going, can I call in sick to my own company? Like I did not want to go into work. I didn't want to deal with him. He was always combative. Um, he, he didn't, he didn't get the memo, um, in, in graphic design school that the clients always write. Um, and, and so it was just like, Oh my gosh, like I cannot let this happen again. I can't, I can't be in this situation. Like if I don't want to go into my own office. Um, and so at that point, I just was like, I've got to learn what to do, how to do this differently, get real serious about it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that just kind of started like this, this process and this evolution of doing research and um and investigating different things, and then just you know, continually making my processes and systems better um on recruiting, hiring, and retaining retaining what I refer to as five-star employees. And they're the top 15% of available talent in the market. So the secret is weeding out the one, two, and three-star, the average ho-hum people, um, and, and not be tempted by hiring them and really never settle for less than five-star employees. No, that's great. And, and what do you think tempts us to, to hire the less than five-star employees? 
we, we just don't time, time and preparation. So, you know, I, I, I think that most business owners or most hiring managers are like, Oh, I've got an interview in 15 minutes. Um, okay. Let me, let me Google some questions. So they've been very inconsistent. They're, they're not necessarily, um, knowing exactly the aptitudes and skills they're looking for. Um, they're not getting real specific on, you know, what, the key responsibilities are and what success will look like for those key responsibilities. They're not quantifying what success looks like in the role. And so, um, they're just like, okay, you know, you can, you have a pulse, warm body, you can start Monday. Great. You're hired. Um, and you know, success leaves clues and also failure leaves clues. And so, you know, when you, when you've made a mishire, you really need to take some time to, you know, analyze the mishire. Why was it a mishire? And, you know, how can you incorporate that knowledge into your future recruitment and hiring? So for example, for us, um, in one of our businesses, um, it's has a small, um, a small business office and, um, the team likes to eat lunch together. And, um, uh, we brought someone in for, um, a shadow day and, um, they it's, I'm sorry. Um, we brought someone in, um, they'd gone through all of our processes and, and, and such, and had, had trained, et cetera. And then, um, they did not like to eat lunch with everyone. And, you know, about two weeks after they had started, they're like, this isn't for me. I don't, I really don't like the aspect that we have to eat lunch together. And that became like an aha. So now in our shadow days, um, we incorporate eating lunch together um, and talk about how this is what we do um, in the business. We, we had gone out to lunch that day. So it kind of seemed like a special event and it wasn't really clear that no, we, we eat lunch in the, my team that's there, um, eats lunch every day together. They bring their lunch cause we're in an industrial area. There's not many places to grab lunch, et cetera. Right. And that was really the deal breaker. So now we don't go out to lunch. We don't take it, treat them to a nice lunch. Cause that's not the reality of our business. We go to a nice lunches when it's someone's birthday, et cetera. But on the day to day, um, you know, everyone's eating together. So the first thing that popped into my head with that one is not always about who you know or what you know. You got to be able to fit into what that company's core values are. See, with Danielle's team in that particular scenario is they went to lunch together as a team all the time. So if you couldn't fit with that mold with that particular team, like, hey, we go to lunch together. It's not always a fancy dinner or a fancy lunch it might just be sitting in the break room and we all brought our lunch we're going to take a lunch together we're going to stop the day we're going to all spend time together and that's what it's going to be and if you couldn't fit in that then you don't fit with that particular company so you got to know your core values you got to know what you value as a company as a team and make sure that the people that you're recruiting fit into that mold otherwise they're not a five-star recruit for your company and they might need to go somewhere else all right. The next clip that we have is from my man's Doug and Wayne, where we're talking about what leading from the front really looks like. Let's take a listen. You know, we had the director running that and uh, you were super focused or hyper focused. Well, you weren't yet. I think it was in February. We made the decision to have you do solar only because you were, man you were, man it was April. Oh, it was April. Okay. 
it was April. It was April because that's when we had um, like our worst install month ever in sales month. Um, yeah. I mean, we I think we had three three systems in April. Um, yeah. And then uh, I went ahead and uh, stepped away from MDU um, and let uh, the director handle it and you handle him and mm-hmm. uh, hyper focused on solar. And then the next month we did like 18. So yeah. it was a huge difference. So that's a big deal that I want to, I want to talk about, you know? And so, you know, then this is tough because in any sales organization or just sales team in general, you have these things happen where somebody ascends to a certain role and then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Things change, product changes, market changes, uh, the team changes, right? And they've got to, you know, effectively take a step down, which, you know, it wasn't necessarily a step down because, you're making more money now than you were in March. That's for sure. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Because 18 solar installs, you know, you get an override on that, obviously. Um, but it was, you know, almost a market manager type role where you're managing the sales team and that's your only responsibility, right? And so right. Um, walk me through that. You know what I mean? Was that, you know, because I'm sure people listening have that person right? That leads the sales program or that they're partners with or whatever the case is. And something happens to the business that says, Hey, you've got to effectively focus on this part of it. And then I've got to take on the rest or I've got to take on this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that we can, we can be more effective that way. Yeah. I mean, so for me, I mean, you and I are both the same in that, you know, I'm, if I got to pick up trash and empty the trash cans here, whatever I have to do, to, to make it happen, you make it happen. Right. Um, and so, you know, title and role, um, I, I don't really, doesn't really matter to me. What matters is that everything gets done and it gets done the right way. Um, the, you know, it, things happen, man. I mean, it happens like you have to be fluid and you have to be willing to do the work and that work changes. Um, you know, the work that, uh, at a VP where I'm managing a director and then, you know, the, the team kind of doing their own thing. The work there was different, but um, it's still the work. I mean, I I think in, in your business, if you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and go out and do the work, um, then then nobody's going to want to do it for you. And nobody's going to do it with you. You know, how can you lead if you're not willing to do the work? Um, so, um, I mean, I got it. I mean, you, I think we had a five-minute conversation over yeah. it. It was like, hey, this needs to happen. Okay, cool. You're right. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, it needed to happen. Yeah. Uh, in order for the solar division to grow, I had to give it my undivided attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, and so we recognize that's where our biggest opportunity was. You know, solar has um, the same margins as AT&T. However, the the volume of dollars going into that division is completely different. You know what I'm saying? So it can ascend us to another level gross volume wise. Now, uh, one thing my pastor always in. says when he's talking about service in the church is that you got to be willing to do everything from pulpit, which is on the platform, speaking God's word to pulling weeds. That's out in the garden, getting your clothes dirty and just getting down in the mud and, and, you know, cleaning toilets. He, he, does the whole racket. But what I got from what Wayne was saying was you got to be you got to be willing to do what needs to be done so that the business succeeds. Yes, in on paper it seemed like he was taking a step down from his role, 
of you know being the VP of the whole company to just kind of being a market manager, which it looks like a step down, but he and Doug understood, hey, this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to do right now. Then that's what we're going to do right now. And there was no bad blood. There was no uh, animosity. It was, hey, this is what the business needs. And because this is what the business needs, that's what we're going to get done. And I really do appreciate that. Go ahead and check out that clip. Um, so that way you can hear exactly why all that stuff happened. It was a great episode. Um, it talks a little bit more about the difference makers that we have with Argenta Field Solutions. Now, the next guy we have on here that we're going to be taking a little uh, clip out of is going to be Jory Mack. Now, if you've ever met Jory, you see that he is logoed out. And uh, this clip kind of tells you why he does that. Let's take a listen. I stopped by a kiosk in the mall. And it said, stop, you know, back pain, neck pain. And I bought this little device and stuck it on my back and it uh, fixed my lower back. And I had been getting some back pain because, I, you know, I was at the gym all the time. Yeah. Right? I was, you know, swinging a racket for racket ball. And, you know, I was playing, you know, softball and all these twisting sports. So I messed up my lower back. Um, and so I, uh, I fell in love with the device that fixed my lower back. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, now I can play sports that's a huge deal. Why isn't everybody using this thing? I've never seen this thing before. Right? right. And so I started selling them at the gym. People like pull their, you know, back or they you know, hurt their shoulder or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I'd say, here, throw this on and it'd help them. And they'd go, where do I get one of these? And I said, Oh, well, I, I can sell you one. Right. Nice. So I just started doing it and started, you know, building up some, and I take all that money and put it into savings. And just every time I make a sale, I put it into savings, it's savings, mm -hmm. savings, savings. And then I ended up buying a kiosk from the guy that originally sold it to me. So, um, that being said that, uh, I had a rude awakening because what I thought is I thought I could change everybody's mind about the kiosks. Right. So when I went in, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to be super aggressive. So I'm going to go and like, I'm just going to do it a different way and I'll probably get a lot more sales. Right. Um, what I realized is that it was, it was kind of a rude awakening it has nothing to do with the person that's there. It just has to do with the thing in the middle of the mall. <laughs> Nobody, it doesn't matter how non-aggressive you are. It doesn't matter what, if the fact that you're even talking to somebody from a kiosk, they like, don't like you. Right? right. So what I had to realize is, okay, like it basically, first of all, broke down my entire fear of rejection. Mm. Uh, I had to, I had to get to a point where I almost, I almost quit two weeks in, which is kind of wild because if I would have quit, none of this would have happened. Right. Um, but I almost quit two weeks in, uh, because I was like, I basically was like, well, this isn't, this wasn't the plan. My plan was to change the industry and to have people, you know, uh, you know, make it easier for people to walk up to me, not to like, to, turn into the kiosk salesman. Right. Right. Like I didn't want to be somebody who, who would stop people in the mall. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want that. And so what I realized is actually I had to, you know, I had to actually, um, I had to start stopping people. I, now I did come up with a lot of creative ways. I wasn't aggressive. I, you know, I try to figure out ways, you know, things like, like, Oh, wow. Nice shoes. You know, especially your left one. Right. And then the people, <laughs> people yeah. laugh and whatever it is. Right. So mm -hmm. little, just little stuff that I could do to make people laugh. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what I realized is that people are, are, they just don't like the kiosk. So I step three feet this way and everybody likes me step three feet this way. Everybody, you know, doesn't like me. Anymore, yeah. If you're right? too close to the kiosk. 
Yeah. And that's what also broke that for me was mm-hmm. I just realized it's not me. It's this thing. Yeah. So I realized, okay, can't take it personally. Let's just continue to keep, you know, pushing and growing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, then the next step was, was building the team, right? Because obviously building great sales teams, right? So this yeah. was for me, the, the second hardest part, because I was sitting there. Now I'm, I now understand it. I now know how to sell, but how do I get someone else to buy into this, this, not only this product, but also this, this way of sales, right? Mm-hmm. Because so many people don't like the kiosks. So when someone goes into the kiosks, now you have to change their mindset into this is your way of making money. And this is your way of, you know, you have, you're also helping people. So you have to, you have to create some sort of mission that was more important than what was, uh, than the fear that they had of the customers. Mm-hmm. So if you could help them, because they knew when they would make a sale that it would help their back or it would help their knee or it helped their whatever it is. So they right. knew that. So if, if I could tell, teach them how important that was compared to the fear that they had, right. Mm-hmm. That would make that started to make the difference in the people too, um, was to let them know, Hey, hold on to those times where you fix someone's lower back or hold on to that time that that guy walked out. He walked in with a cane and walked out without a cane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hold yeah. on to those times. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then they, and when they did, they started to realize, okay, now I'm actually, now I'm actually, I'm doing something for the greater good. And even if I have to look like the turd that's stopping him in the mall, mm-hmm. once, once I make that sale, it's all worth it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. One of the most important things you can do as an entrepreneur or as a salesperson is to believe in your product. If you don't believe in your product, then what's the point of you selling it? What's the point of you trying to get other people to believe in a product that you yourself don't believe in? See, now, Jory was working at a mall kiosk. And I know for myself, I can't stand mall kiosks. A lot of them are a little too pushy. A lot of them uh, just want you to buy from them. And, you know, it, it seems sleazy to some. But Jory believed in his product. He understood, hey... I need to believe in this product so that way when I'm teaching my guys and training my guys, then they need to believe in the product so that way we're not doing, we we understand we're not doing something that is a burden to these people, but it's something that's actually going to help them. And because it's something that actually helped me and because I believe in it, then I can sell this product with good faith, good conscience, knowing that, hey, I really want you to have this to benefit your life. And you know what? That kind of goes into why he's always logoed out. It's like, hey, I believe in the product that I'm selling you. I wouldn't do this if it wasn't like something. I wouldn't I wouldn't share this with you if it wasn't something that I would do myself. And I really appreciate that. I really love that clip that kind of showcases that for me. I hope it does the same for you. And the last bit um, for this episode is going to be from Maury Seitz. The episode is called Millionaires Meditate. Let's take a listen as to why that is. And uh, so I guess it kind of goes into my my next question, which I somewhat answered, but I think you'll have a better answer. <laughs> why should sales leaders care about meditation? Because this is the basis of success. So when you look at the highest performing business leaders in the world, mm-hmm. the majority of them practice meditation. People like uh, Richard Branson Mm -hmm. and Ray Dalio, Bill Ford, chairman of Ford Motor Company, Mm -hmm. uh, 
and, and athletes, if you want to like get into that too, you know, LeBron James and um, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. Carly Lloyd, soccer player, um, they, they all practice meditation, not because they have nothing else to do. These are busy people, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's because meditation actually rewires your brain. It changes how your brain is wired so that you can be more focused. You talked about distractions. Mm -hmm. We live in a society that is rewiring your brain to be distracted. Social media, did you ever see the movie, um, the documentary, uh, what's it called? The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Yes, yes. Okay, so they talk about what the Silicon Valley companies have done to consciously distract and rewire your brain so that you are distracted and that you are focused on their thing. Like how many times can you go into Facebook and check your check updates? Yeah. And all of them have that. Um, the reason it shows up as, you know, you have 700 messages on Facebook or LinkedIn or anywhere is because they want your, your brain will go, I have to close that loop. Right. And so it's got to go in and, and, get rid of them. And we're all, we're all incredibly susceptible to it. You know, I I consider myself a driven individual, but I still go down the reels and TikTok, like, I don't know how to say it, wormhole, (laughs) black hole. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I I look up and it's 45 minutes later. I'm like, what did I just do? You know? Right. And, and, and that was, that's the extreme version of it. You know, most of our lives, we've only had the little red notifications and the little dopamine hits we get from checking those. Right. Yeah. But doing this, being able to scroll through as much as we want and always get new, new information and new media. I mean, our brains are just, it's like crack to our brains, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that the, the designers of those programs know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, Meditation allows you the opportunity to rewire your brain so that it works best for you, mm-hmm. not for them, for you. So you're rewiring it. Practicing meditation has been proven. There's a, so much science and research behind this. Like people are think, oh, meditation. Yeah, that's a thing that hippies do while they're sitting right. on a mat, you know, for hours a day. But there's so much science and research backing up all of this stuff that I'm talking about, that we're talking about. It, uh, it can lower your pain threshold, like physically uh, help with pain. Mm-hmm. It makes you more emotionally intelligent. So you are less likely to get drawn into conflict. Think of how many, you know, c- clients all the time try to draw you into stuff, right? Yeah. Clients, vendors, um, friends, employees, <laughs> friends, everybody, right? Yeah. So if you're less likely to get drawn into conflict, your, your relationships improve. Mm-hmm you have, you're better, more focused. You're able to retain information better, which makes sense. Cause if you're better able to focus, then it makes sense that you're going to retain more information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are some other, I mean, there's so many benefits to it. Um, creativity. We were talking, we were talking yeah. about creativity, Medit- practicing meditation makes you more creative. You're more open to those ideas. Yeah. I feel like if I've, if I've consumed too much social media or, you know, that type of um, dopamine hit type reels and, and TikTok, you know, my my brain is mush, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the only thing I can do is more of the same, right? Yeah. And then it turns into the cycle. 
Um, right. And so for me, you know, I've, so I did, I just finished phase one of uh, the Live Hard year, the 75 Harder program. And I had to do 10 minutes of visualization every day. And mm-hmm. it was so freaking hard. It would take me yeah. 30 minutes someday because I knew I was trying to stay in integrity and I knew when I wasn't doing visualization anymore, yeah. I was off in Neverland, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. the way the, my brain is not comfortable just being, you know? Right. And so what is just one strategy you can give us to actually just be, you know, what do you, how do you, I mean, that's easy to say, just be, you know, but our brains won't allow it. I know. Oh, I know. So yeah, how- I know. I know. So one of the things to realize that I get also asked all the time is how do I clear all the thoughts from my head? Yeah, that's what I mean, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And it's not possible. Like, we're human. So okay. there are always going to be thoughts coming through your head. But part of the practice of meditation is to recognize those thoughts Mm-hmm. And to acknowledge them and to almost say to them, like, hey, I see you. Okay. And now I'm just going to let you keep going. Like, like I can see in the mirror behind you, there are cars mm-hmm. going on the, on the freeway there. Yeah. It's just like that. Like, those are the thoughts. They just keep passing. They yeah. just keep passing. And you just let them go and yeah. don't get distracted by them. And when you find yourself getting distracted by them, you recognize, hey, I'm getting carried away here. Mm-hmm. And you come back to your breathing. That's a really easy thing to come back to and just focus on your breathing. Meditation, visualization cannot be summed up in that five minute clip. I encourage you, please, please, please go check out that episode. Um, Millionaires Meditate with Lori Seitz. And you are going to be tremendously blessed that you did it is such a great episode so you can understand the importance of gratitude the importance of meditation the importance of the importance of visualization all those good things that come from you just taking the time to slow down slow down your mind and focus on what you need to focus on because when we're focusing on those things what it does is it locks it into our subconscious and when it locks it into our subconscious as you're going out throughout your day you're going to be doing these subtle things that are constantly gearing you towards that end goal that you visualize that you meditated on that you're constantly storing in your subconscious so that way it can come forward at the end of the day All right, guys, that's all the time that I have for you. That's all the time that I have um, behind the camera. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, Like I said, these clips are going to be linked in the description, anywhere that you're looking at this podcast, the episode notes, YouTube description, wherever it's at. So that way you can go and listen to the full episodes. I encourage you to listen to them. They're going to help you out. They're going to help you with your business development, your personal development, your mindset, all those good things. And we have so many more episodes on the Building Great Sales Teams podcast that are just going to tremendously take your business to the next level. Thank you guys so much. Again, my name is Ryan. Uh, Doug will be back on the next episode. Until then, let's get building. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Until next time.